0: Well, let's turn and read in our Bibles this evening about the first global meeting of the Independent Baptists in Acts chapter 15, if you would please. It's where we are in our study of Acts. Acts in chapter number 15, the first global meeting of the Independent Baptists. Is that taking too much liberty? I don't know. What well, were the Independent Baptists? Was it a meeting? Was it about the global need for world missions? There it is. First global meeting of the Independent Baptists. Acts chapter 15, I just, uh, I can't help, uh, I'm just got to tell you that as I looked ahead and I saw we're going to be at Acts 15, the Sunday night right before the meeting. I thought, oh, that's just a coincidence, but no, really, I thought, wow, God, that is so good, that is so good that you've done that, and I I don't know, I hope it's a help tonight, and and certainly just the study of it's been a help in my own life, and so I sure want to try to pass that on tonight. Uh, this this evening. So let's look at Acts chapter 15 and verse number 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Is that right or wrong? That's wrong, isn't it? That's wrong doctrine. That's false doctrine. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, in other words, the argument heated up They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, look at this, they were received of the church... The idea there is that they were warmly received, and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there arose there arose certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it is needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there and, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That was in reference back to chapter 10 and Cornelius. Verse 8, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, ...even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts... ...what's the next two words? By By faith. There it is. By faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they... That's a concise statement of the gospel right there. Ironically, he's saying to Jews, we are going to be saved just like the Gentiles were saved. Yeah, kind of turned it around on them, didn't he? Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after that, And after they held their peace, James answered... He would be the pastor of the church there, the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem... ...answered and saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's in reference to Peter, that's his Jewish name. He's using that purposefully. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles... ...to take out of them a people for his name. And notice this, verse 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. So he's turning to the word of God now. Verse 16, After this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. He's reading from Amos. Verse 18, Known unto God Are all his works from the beginning of the world? Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. These all had to do, by the way, with idolatry. Even the fornication would have to do with what took place in the idolatrous temples and so forth. Verse 21. For Moses of old time uh, hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Verse 22. I'm going to read through verse 35. So just bear with me here just a moment. Verse 22. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas namely Judas surnamed Barsabbas and Silas chief men among the brethren and they wrote letters by them after this manner the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the what's the next word brethren, brethren. that's in reference to the gentiles brethren which are of the gentiles in antioch and syria and cilicia for as much as we have heard "...that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment." In other words, they did this unauthorized. Verse 25, "...it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. Verse 28, I want you to pay attention to this, if you would please. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered unto idols, from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare ye well. So when they were dismissed... They came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. May God bless the reading of His word. As you're seated, we'll get right into the message tonight. Meetings are a necessary part of life. I'm sure you have found that to be the case. And not all meetings have to be boring, by the way. Yeah. But you have meetings at work, you have safety meetings supervisor meetings. I remember as I was working at O'Reilly Automotive in Springfield, Missouri in the warehouse, uh, the only reason we looked forward to the meetings is they handed out free Cokes and stuff like that. So that was just about it. But you have meetings at work, parent-teacher meetings, family meetings, church meetings. We have a lot of meetings here at church. Officer meetings, leader meetings, department meetings, staff meetings, bus meetings, business meetings, Prayer meetings, and so we have a lot of meetings. Now, if properly conducted, meetings can be very productive. They can be very productive, very necessary, and very productive. Acts 15 that we just read here tonight is the record of a very productive meeting. It is the central chapter of the book of Acts, as far as the chapters go. There are 28 chapters, so roughly it's right in the center of the book. And in many ways, it is a, the center in terms of its importance. I would recognize Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 and, and this chapter uh, being very important move, moves as far as the church goes and the sake of the gospel. It was, I believe, the first global meeting of the Independent Baptists. As people, church leaders gathered from from various churches to come and to discuss something regarding church. Missions. And I say that it was a productive meeting because the results are still coming in. We are here tonight as a result of the meeting they had then. And we are not observing the law uh, as what some recommended that they had to observe because they came to the right conclusions. And right, um, they received the right direction. Listen, and the direction they received helped the gospel go further the direction they received there really set the pace for the rest of the book of Acts as we're going to uh, just about to embark on the second journey of Paul and and then his third journey and then his journey to Rome. So let me just review here a little bit and as we get to go on just to make sure we're all on the same page regarding the context here of the book of Acts. And we saw last week in Acts chapter 14 that it was the Baptist who won the West. Remember that? It was the Baptists who settled the West. I mentioned a book I'm reading uh, entitled Discovering Church Planting by a gentleman that's not an independent Baptist but just uh, has some keen insights into this matter. And he, uh, his name is J.D. Payne. I don't know a whole lot about him, but, but uh, Brother Derek actually had recommended the book to me, and so I thought to read it and make my way through that. But I skipped ahead and read that chapter I mentioned to you last week. Baptist church planting on the American frontier, just in preparation for our meeting and the by-faith and the pioneering uh, whole idea. So he covers in that uh, the pioneering work of the gospel in the 1700s and the 1800s in places like Kentucky and Tennessee and right on out here this direction as well. But uh, a lot of uh, movement of the gospel. And he gave these four reasons. I'm just giving this to you by simply a reminder. going to, not going to camp here a while. But, but he said, here's the reason, four reasons why Baptist churches sprang up all over the United States of America more quickly than any others. And here are their four reasons. Number one, Baptists have always been people of the book. And their belief in the Bible was the foundation for taking the gospel to others. Number two... They approached ministry in a way that was highly contextualized. In other words, the pastors associated themselves with the common man. They were not high and mighty men that looked down on others and, and such, but they were just men that worked fields and raised families, and, and they were just men that could relate with others of that day and time. Number three, Baptists kept church ministry and church life simple, so easily to be reproduced. And number four, church, Baptist churches... While interdependent, he said this, they were fully autonomous. In other words, they believed that they ought to be self-governed and the Holy Spirit of God was leading them. And thus they made decisions quickly as they were there on the frontier and did not have to wait for a message to come back from the east. They made decisions right there. I believe that's exactly the same reason why the gospel spread so quickly in Acts chapter 14 on the Asia Minor frontier. Paul and Barnabas were men of the book. They were men of the book. As they came into town, they came uh, preaching the gospel. They were men of like passions. You remember last week as the, as the people of uh, Lystra saw the, the miracle that took place and they were ready to, to uh, offer sacrifices unto Paul and Barnabas, thinking that Zeus and, and uh, Hermes had come down among them, the gods had come among them, and Paul and Barnabas said, wait a minute, we are men just like you we 're not uh, any different than what you are we 've come to preach the gospel. They kept church life simple and thus easily reproduced as they appointed uh, elders and pastors to lead those churches and they believed listen, Paul and Barnabas certainly believed in the autonomous nature of the independent fundamental Baptist church. They most certainly did, and thus they were under the leadership of God, and churches were started. I want to share one additional insight here before we move on to tonight 's message entirely. And that would be this. Church planting is not for the faint-hearted. Church planting is not for the faint-hearted. These men were men of grit. They were men of grit. Um, my wife's going to speak to the ladies, so I'm not going to uh, use her message, uh, though I'm tempted to. She's speaking to them about uh, women of grit, grit, of grit and grace. But I think about Paul and uh, Barnabas here. And as they're run out of one town... Paul is stoned in Lystra, left for dead. He gets up and goes to Derby and preaches there. And then instead of taking the shortcut home, they went the long way home to make sure that the disciples were cared for. I'm telling you, these were, these were men of grit. I like the word grit. Grit just has to do with uh, firmness of character, firmness of resolve. They, they didn't run home when the going got tough. Yeah. They were men of grit. But can I submit this to you tonight, church? They were men of grit because they were men of grace. They had been recommended to the grace of God according to chapter 14, as we saw there uh, at the end of the chapter. And so that was the only way they were able to be men of, of grit. It wasn't because they toughened themselves up, but they were reliant on the grace of God. Well, as more and more Gentiles were coming into the church, it generated more and more questions and things to deal with as people were coming in. And so we come to chapter 15, and there's some question there on behalf of some that came from Judea, that came up to where they were in Antioch of Syria. And they said this, now listen, these Gentiles, we, we're we going to accept them into our membership here. They can come into the church, but they must receive the sign of the covenant, namely circumcision that was given to Abraham. They said they have to receive that in order to be with us. Otherwise, they cannot, you read it, they cannot be saved. That's how strict they were. They were, in other words, saying, to be saved, you have to keep the law. We can't let them in without the sign of the covenant. Well, Paul and Barnabas took a bold stand against that. Because they believed that you're saved by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. And so they withstood them. And so they were emphasizing, Paul and Barnabas were emphasizing this, you do not have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You get that? You do not have to become a Jew as what they basically were emphasizing. They were saying, listen, to be a true Christian, you have to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. Paul and Barnabas is saying, no, they can be Gentiles and be fully Christians. Now, in our, in our terminology, we could, we could say this. A person living in this world does not have to become an American in order to become a Christian. This is not an American faith. This is not a Western religion. No, it is the faith once delivered unto these saints, and it can fit in any culture. And when it comes into any culture, it's bound to make a bunch of difference. But they don't have to become westernized to be fully Christian. Okay, so that might be something we would deal with. But here's what I've found. And I obviously haven't been on the mission field, but I was a missions major, studied all that, and love missions and such. But here's what i found. That cross-cultural uh, communication, cross-cultural church planting generates its own unique set of questions and situations to this very day. Things that have to be dealt with. And so... When they saw that this was not being resolved just right there in that immediate context, they said, you know, we need to have a meeting. So here's what I want you to consider tonight. Church leaders came together. In other words, they had a meeting to consider the future of global missions. Church leaders came together to consider the future of global missions. You say, well, I thought they came together to consider whether or not you had to be circumcised and keep the law. Yes, but that was related to Gentiles, remember? And thus, those that were going to be saved, many of them would be Gentiles. So this has everything to do with missions. It has everything to do with global evangelism. It would make a big determination as to what the church would look like as they went forward into new frontiers. So, this was a meeting of church leaders. It was, as we've already emphasized... A meeting of Independent Baptists. It was a meeting that was in the cause of world missions. They had a common goal, a common problem, a common frontier, and could be a part of a common harvest. It was a global meeting. Global in what sense? in the sense that there were people that were coming from different locations sure there were people coming there from antioch and people coming from there in jerusalem of course the church was gathered together there in jerusalem as they were part of the meeting but also no doubt there were some others kind of mixed in there but global in that sense but also global in this sense the gospel must go in all parts of the globe that's why i would refer to it as a global meeting And thus what we're having here this upcoming week is a meeting of independent Baptists from all kinds of different locations, and it's a global meeting. In the sense that they're coming from all over, yes, absolutely. Uh, We have folks actually that are signed up to come from India and from Canada and from the U.S. and all around, no, no doubt. And we have missionaries that are coming in. It's global in that sense. But the primary focus that I'm hoping and praying that God would give to the meeting is that it would be global in its outlook that we would assemble here together to go out and that we'd see the role that churches are to have in that. And so in that sense, it's a global meeting. Now, while we're gathering together here this week is not for the same situation for which they gathered then. In other words, we're not debating about the law and Moses and circumcision and all these things. But we do gather for the exact same cause, the cause of world evangelism. And what was accomplished in that meeting set the pace for that which would come. And I believe with all my heart what's accomplished in this upcoming meeting can set the pace for that which is to come. Yep. Now, I will quickly say this. As you read, you might think, oh man, are we going to have a fight here? There was uh, dissension and disputations and, and uh, wrangling. I mean, there, it was—it's got pretty rugged. You know, words were going back and forth. I mean, it was all, but it got stout. I mean, they were really going toe-to-toe here. As Paul and Barnabas were not about to compromise on the truth. No. But I say that as we assemble here together and church leaders come in, I'm not aware of any serious division among us. Now, there are divisions among us. We are divided on matters such as statehood. Being this close to Texas, no doubt, the Oklahoma-Texas rivalry, it's going to be on to some extent. There's some division among our ranks in the matters of NCAA football conferences, Big 12 versus SEC and so forth. I mean, that, some important matters, no doubt, but pastors will come in and they're divided, brethren, over Mac and PC. Some are divided over cell phones. Some are divided over coffee brands. Some are divided over this and that. But overall, I'd say they're like-minded men coming in. Like-minded men. But we've come together. We're going to come together this week for a preacher's meeting. Uh, reckon what we ought to have at a preacher's meeting. Use a Kentucky word on you. Is that all right? Reckon what we ought to have at a preacher's meeting. Preaching. Preaching. Preaching first and foremost. Preaching is front and center. Everything else that's going on is secondary to the preaching of the Word of God. That's, that's the main focus. But what we're coming together is, is, is to consider, listen, the future, because this September meeting of the Global Independent Baptist uh, Fellowship is, is focused on this, missions. It's focused on missions. So, really, if I could put it in this context, that we're coming together to consider the future of global missions. It is a very important meeting. Now, I will say this there is a very clear understanding and a very strong agreement that missions is the business of the church, it's the business of the local church. In other words, missions is not the business of a fellowship. We are coming together, verb, to fellowship. It's not a fellowship that's going to start churches, fellowship noun. That's not how it works because only churches can start churches. Fellowship, listen, I, I just want to try to make, help us all to be real clear on this. Fellowships have no business approving missionaries. Missionaries can only be approved by their sending church. Other churches that want to get on board and support and say, yes, we believe and, and trust that God's going to use this man, they can get on board with that, but it, it, all of it rises and falls with the sending church. What's going to happen this week is there will be missionaries presented and introduced to other preachers, but there's no approval process. Here's why. Because it's churches that approve it and churches that send men. So just make that very, very clear. Church planting worldwide is not the business of a fellowship. By the way, global missions or church planting worldwide is not the business of a Bible college. The Bible college has no authority to send out men into the harvest field. A Bible college has no authority to start churches. So while I'm thankful for Heartland Baptist Bible College, the pillar and ground of the the truth is the church, not the college. Yep. Global missions is not the business of the state or federal government. I don't think we have to worry about that one. Not like that one's going to be on their docket or on their agenda. Global missions is not the business of individuals. Individuals are involved, but it must be under the authority of the church. Global missions is not the business of denominations. We doing all right? I know this, this is just like common for us, but, but listen, there's a lot of parts in the world that don't have this mentality about it. But this is Bible. I mean, this is exactly what we're seeing here. What, what we saw see gathering here in, in Acts chapter 15, it's not a denomination being formed. It's not a board. It's not a sending agency that's governing and sending these missionaries out. No, listen, this was the business of churches. Yep. Because missions is the business of churches, not denominations. It's not the business of boards. It's not the business of missions agencies. Missions agencies can serve a part as in the GIBM or other agencies that function as a clearinghouse. But those agencies cannot call men and send men. They only clear things and help churches do what churches do. Global missions is squarely the business of the local church. And so because Missions is the business of a local church, then Missions is the business of Southwest Baptist Church. Yep. My favorite week of the whole year is Missions Conference. That is our business meeting. Yep. And in that meeting, we are deciding the, the fate of the world as to whether they would hear the gospel ...or not. But this upcoming week, we have church leaders that are gathered together who understand all that I just went over. They understand that it's churches that start churches. It's not fellowships and all those things that I've mentioned and hit on. But listen, if it is the church that is to be the one that is leading in world missions and can only be accomplished through the church, then as a church, we need clear direction. Clear direction. We must have direction on who to send. We've got to have direction on where to go. We've got to have direction on how to accomplish that task. We've got to have direction on when to start. We need clear direction. I want you to see in Acts chapter 15 that when the church leaders came together to consider the future of global missions they received direction, They received the direction that they needed because they focused their meeting on God. When they came to that meeting, and it was such a crucial time in their history and crucial time in, in, their, in the lives of churches and for the sake of the gospel, they received the direction they needed because they focused their meeting on God. We, we read it there. I want you to notice tonight, though, three things they did in this meeting that I believe would have everything, absolutely everything, to do with what type of week I believe God wants us to have this upcoming week. Number one, they did this. They gave attention to God's work. They gave attention to God's work. Peter gave a report on what God did. We read about it there in verses 7 through 12. He gave a report. Did you notice how that Peter emphasized this? What God did at the beginning, what God did in their hearts, how that they were saved, how that God chose that they might receive the Holy Ghost, indicating their salvation. Hey, wait a minute. Do you understand the point he's making? God did this. They received the Holy Ghost. They were Gentiles. They were not circumcised, and yet they were saved. Evidently, based on what happened 10 years ago in Acts chapter 10... You do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. You do not have to keep the law in order to be saved. Peter is just standing up and saying, Listen, brother, let me me rehash this here a little bit. God chose to use these lips to preach his gospel. And as I preached, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and those that were gathered in his home, and they were saved by the grace of God and received the Spirit just like we did at the beginning there at Pentecost. That's what God did. And so Peter went through and told them all about what God did and how that God had chosen to save any who would come to him by faith. He chose to save them by grace through faith, and he emphasized that, but again, he's emphasizing God's involvement. And then Paul and Barnabas, they stand up and they give report to the church, what God did in their midst, and they told about their journey to Cyprus, and their journey to Antioch, and their journey to Iconium, and to Lystra, and to Derbe, and how that people were saved there. Gentiles were saved there. People living up in rugged parts of the world in isolated places called on Christ and they were saved and they were Gentiles and they weren't circumcised and yet they were saved by the grace of God and and the work of the gospel was going forth. So here's what they did. They gave attention to what God was doing in the world. Number two, they gave attention or they gained perspective from God's word. They gained perspective from God's word. James stands up and James says, brethren, We've heard these things that God evidently is doing among us. And he says this, that this is in agreement with what is said. As he says there in verse number 15, And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. You know what James begins to do? James begins basically to explain or apply this to Scripture. It's called preaching. And thus they gave attention to what God was doing in the world. They gained perspective as they heard this message from the word of God. And James says, listen, this is not out of line with what God had planned to do all the way back. In fact, it's always been God's plan that he would take out from among them a people for his name. Gentiles for his name that would serve him. And so he brought it then to a conclusion and said, I see this. We ought to just simply write him a letter and say this that we just want to encourage you and expect that you would serve God exclusively. Completely leave behind everything that has to do with idolatries. The pollutions that is all offered to idols as far as the food, the things strangled that would have to do with the idolatry as well, and the blood, of course, that would also have to do with idolatry and even the fornication. He's simply saying this, make a break completely with your past because you got a bright future and you're serving the right God serve him and serve him exclusively so here's I love, I love though I want to point out a particular verse verse number 28 he says this as he's writing to them for it seemed good notice what he said to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay on them upon you rather no greater burden than these necessary things you know what, he, what he's saying there We tried to follow the Holy Spirit of God's leadership here. Because missions is a spiritual work. So we tried to follow God's leadership. Three parts to their meeting. Number one, they gave attention to what God was doing in the world. Number two, they gained perspective as a man of God stood and opened the word of God so the people of God could hear that this is exactly what God wanted to do in the first place. Number three, they were sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. And as they did those three things, they took knowledge of God's work in the world, they gained perspective from God's word, and they were sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Then they got the direction they needed for the sake of world missions. And as they got that perspective, then they went, as we read there in verses 30 through 35, and they reported to the church, and here's what they found. Immediate relief. Good, so we can move forward. And there was joy, and there was increased freedom, and there was a great resolve to serve. And here's what we see coming out of that that first global meeting of the Independent Baptists was this: the movement of the gospel beyond where it had been before, as it went. Now on the second journey, and we don't have time to get into all the particulars, of course, of that. But as we continue on in chapter 15 and 16 and so forth, then we'll see that many more came to Christ as a result of this. Many more were baptized and many more churches were started because these men in their meeting emphasized God and his work and his word and his leadership. So what should we do? What should we do as we come to host a meeting? Well, I'm praying that as a result of this meeting, the pastors would go home burdened for the need among the unreached people groups of this world. That they take that burden back to the churches so that the churches would begin to pray that God might send forth labors into the harvest whereunto he has called them. And that there might be people that would answer the call and that as people answer the call, that they might go everywhere, from everywhere, preaching the gospel, so that people might be saved and baptized and people gather together in brand new churches and added to established churches, but that the work of the gospel would go to new frontiers. So how do we do that? Here's, church, what I believe we need to do. In this upcoming meeting, beginning tomorrow night, we need to do this. Let's devote our attention to what God wants. Let's take note. Let's listen. Let's pay attention. Let's listen to the missionaries as they come and tell what God has done in their heart. Let's pay attention to what God is doing in the world. I believe that God is doing a work in our midst and overseas and other parts. I'm talking about in China and the Philippines and and in India and other parts of the world. That the work of the gospel is going on and in many ways we don't even know about it. But God is doing a great work. I believe for sure we need to do this. Give attention to the Word of God as it's preached. And as men come to share what God has put on their heart and they labor in the Word and they declare unto us what God wanted us to hear, then we ought to take heed to what the man of God said from the Word of God. And then do this, number three. We need to come into this meeting being sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. Saying, God, whatever you want. You know, I love the words. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost to do this. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm finding in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit of God is actively at work. It wasn't the apostles leading in this, but it's the Holy Spirit of God moving here and moving there and doing this and doing that and calling this person and sending them in and equipping them and empowering their message and, and, and working on this person's heart and bringing them to Christ in salvation and seeing them joined into the church and God radically changing lives through the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people just like you and just like me, yeah. and the gospel went to new frontiers as the people of God got their focus on God. You say, "Boy, Brother Gaddis, it seems so simple. Shouldn't we, in every meeting that we have as a church, shouldn't we focus on God?" Yes. But can't we get our attention and focus on so many other things? Here's what Peter did. He said, you know, here's what God did. God did this and he did this. Paul, God did this. God led here and he accomplished this. James stands. Let me tell you what God said. Everywhere you turn, they're emphasizing God's work. And all we need to do is get our focus and attention on God and watch as he leads us. To do what he's called us to do in the work, the important work, of global evangelism. A meeting can be very productive if it's conducted right, and a meeting that's really productive for the sake of world missions must be focused on him. So, Father, we come to you believing, dear God, that there's only one way to salvation. convinced that the message we preach is the same that Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James, the same exact gospel that they preached of our Lord and Savior's death, burial, and resurrection. And so, dear God, I pray that you'd help us to humble ourselves before you. Dear God, to focus on you. The meeting is not for man. The meeting, dear God, is not just about the souls of men, though certainly we're concerned about the multitudes that are yet to hear the gospel. But God, just as they did then, may we do now to get our attention, our undivided attention on you. God, may we seek you this week. Help us, dear God, not to seek you and something else, but help us, dear God, just simply to focus on who you are and what you're doing in the world. Help us to give attention to your word. Help us, dear God, to be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts. Lord, whatever seems good to you, Lord, may it be good unto us. Help us to follow your leadership. Lord, may you call forth labors into the harvest, even as Jesus told us to pray. That you might send forth laborers into your harvest, O God. Lord, by the work of the Holy Spirit, I see that it was the Spirit that said, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto you have called them. And maybe there's someone here that, God, you've just been working on their hearts, calling them into your work to take the gospel to another location. God, would you help them? Lord, we pray for the Spirit's leadership as we have an evangelistic meeting going on even right now out just east of here. Would you help and lead in that matter? Dear God, and if people are saved and need to be assembled there in the Shawnee area, God, would you help us to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Help, dear God, as missionaries have been sent out from this church, and as we try to take care of them and care for their lives and pray for them, then help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God's work. Lord, help us to be reminded that the Spirit is actively at work and not anything strange. Or Help us not to allow other groups to rob us of the joy of seeing your work in our midst. But, Lord, you worked in this church then and these churches then, and we believe that you want to work in our church even now to make the gospel accessible to the people of this location and throughout our nation as well as the world. In Jesus' name, amen.